And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show, presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday of Real Investment Show. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP Solo. Mr. Ratliff is still Nancy Kerrigan. Uh, we'll look it up. But he has a knee issue. See, when you play, when you start to play sports at a certain age, these things happen to you. But we hope he'll be back soon. He's doing well. Um, I'm sure Mrs. Ratliff is keeping him in rehab. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. He'll be blowing out the other knee in no time. <laughs> so Not if she can help it. <laughs> Oh, man. So, you know, again, we're in the uh, summer, uh, and uh, I always love Fourth of July weekend. This is great. Uh, Makes you thankful for where you're from. We've got lots of problems here, but we are still the cleanest dirty shirt when it comes to many things. We tend to look at especially economic numbers uh, and on an absolute basis, and we want the best in those numbers, but when you look at us on a relative basis, we are still the king of the block, but the block is falling apart due to no spending on infrastructure. So, um, so again, we have futures are up slightly, 24 points on the down, NASDAQ futures up 32. <clears throat> so, you know, we've been in this positive trend. Uh, we have been, um, you know, Markets seem, what's a good word? Sanguine. Uh, Lance is expecting us to correct here a bit um, over the summer. Uh, maybe this it's more of a rolling correction, right? More of a time correction. Uh, just a drift lower uh, as we get through this uh, period. So you've got to remember, markets don't always go up. Sometimes it's not a bad thing when they pull back. That's the time we would add money to markets. Buy low? What the heck is that? So, you know, uh, interesting study by Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at Oxford. Now, you're going to be shocked to hear this, but the U.S. ranked last in media trust. That's according to a survey of 92,000 news consumers around the world. I don't know if does that shock you, Brent? Not at all. (laughs) So, um, so we got a lot to watch today. We have non-farm payrolls, unemployment rate, uh, very, very important average hourly earnings, month over month, year over year, right? We, we've got to look at that number because the Fed is going to be looking at it and saying, hey, what do we do with rates? We know what they're going to do with rates. We got them all figured out, right? We know that rates are probably not going anywhere. There's a lot of jawboning about raising rates next year, but I think the market's on to them. Young investors are on to them. They always bail us out. Sooner or later, that won't be the case, and that will be an ugly lesson, but it's going to happen. Um, so again, lots of good numbers coming out today at 8.30 a.m. Eastern um, time. So um, <clears throat> one of the things you have to look at here is 
as you go through financial independence, and we're going to have coming up a, a good financial independence um, webinar. And one of the things that you have to keep in mind is that there are such things as bullies. I know, it's crazy. But I know when I was a kid, uh, they were all around me. <laughs> bullies at school, especially. And I was, you know, let's just say I was a little bit rotund. I, um, I was not, uh, I was not the, um, I, I was, I was, I was fodder for material. Not as svelte as you are today. Uh, nowhere near. And, you know, I had a big afro. You know, there was a lot of reasons to pick on me. But I will tell you, and Johnny Cash once said, the biggest bully I ever faced was underneath my own skin. Because financial bullies are not only out there, they're in there. And when I talk about financial bullies, when I look at certain ads on financial, in financial media, I look at certain financial rules about how much of a house can you buy. I saw some ludicrous Instagram posts about like if you make $100,000 a year, you can afford an $850,000 home. I mean, these, these metrics are way off and people promote these metrics. And what you have to keep in mind, your household has its own metrics. So these financial bullies, they don't mean to be bullies. They're just overwhelmed by their own sense of their, their careers, what they want to sell. Maybe they're overly passionate, but they don't realize how much they can key in to one of our greatest internal financial bullies. That is our emotions, especially at times like this. When you talk about ultimate price distortion, Ultimate price distortion in everything, in stocks, in real estate, in any kind of speculative asset. Did you hear about the Italian sculptor who sold an invisible statue for $18,000? It's space, people. There's nothing there. Or virtual land sales. I've been on some of those. Those are pretty interesting groups. Uh, you can buy a parcel of virtual land for $38,000. And the gentleman who's selling these parcels has made over $1.5 million. Listen, the Fed, the executive branch, they have caused these issues. They have, they have been the biggest, the greatest financial bullies we have ever had. Because they fuel our emotions. They fuel our greed indicator. And guess what's happening? So I, so I, I, start to, I put together this spreadsheet about prices on Zillow, mostly for our, our local area. And I've noticed, I've noticed that houses are sitting on the market for five, seven, eight, ten days. I will tell you, I know that sounds crazy, but... In the peak of all this, we saw houses on Monday and then Tuesday, they were off Zillow. I'm seeing price cuts. One of the realtors I respect on Facebook posted that it's happening. We're getting reductions, you know, as foreclosures hit the market. 
and she and she has been a real estate agent, I'm going to say, for probably close to 40 years. And she actually mentioned the C word in her Facebook post, cycles. She actually mentioned cycles. The ebb and flow of prices. Anybody who is probably buying a house today and is putting 5 to 10% down is most likely going to be underwater. And that is not a good feeling. So how do you protect against the financial bullies? Two words. No and wait. The double punch. I wish it would have helped me against Poli Greco. That would have helped. He kicked my butt. Um, we get back. We're going to talk about a lot of things here, including our long-term care workshop coming up soon. Stay tuned on the next side of the break. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Hi, this is Charlie K. Dow. No, not that gal, but pay attention. It's Financial Fitness Friday with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. And now, back to the show. Oh, is that... Is that little Charlie Kate? <clears throat> you got the Charlie Kate liner. Wow, that, nobody really gets that. That's right. She's got that little radio voice. Mm-hmm. She's got a little person. I mean, I see in your photos, she's got some personality, doesn't she? If she ever comes <clears throat> out of her shell. <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa, I'm going to be in radio. No, honey, listen, we got to talk. We have got to talk about this. Okay, let's follow Grandpa through his trials and tribulations on radio, starting from CB all the way to AM, which is not that far of a stretch, yeah. by the way. Well, it is on the same band. <laughs> but there's a joke in there somewhere. I just can't figure it out. There's like this is a joke about uh, what's the best Tanya Tucker song ever written. I made that joke. It was a dad joke, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Delta variant. The Delta variant. Yeah. So. Delta Dawn variant. Yeah, yeah, the Delta, Delta variant Dawn. Delta variant Dawn. Yeah. So another thing to worry about. <clears throat> Don't worry about it. Enjoy your 4th of July weekend. Aim the Roman candle at somebody you don't like. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. Uh, I did do that once. Didn't end well. How'd that work out for you? <laughs> well, <clears throat> his shirt caught on fire. But it, it uh, was a bad, you know, it was a bully. It was one of the bullies. I finally took revenge, but I had to use fireworks uh, to do it. Um, so on Thursday, July 8th at noon, our Lunch and Learn, right? We're, we're going to continue the Lunch and Learns. We'll expand them to where they're not only online, but they're in the office. 
Uh, we'll have, I'll be doing them, Danny, John Barrymore, I mean, John Penn, who also works with us. Um, this one's on long-term care and planning for long-term care. How to manage the expenses that could make or break your retirement. You see, in many ways, healthcare is sort of covered. Yes, we have to worry about inflation. No, I do not know where inflation is going in healthcare. I've got a pretty good number on it now, but we have people going back to the doctor, back for exams. Those who have postponed treatments during the pandemic are now back out there. So what's going to happen is uh, we're going to see how that overall inflation is going or possibly will change in our financial plans. We track inflation very closely overall and by goals um, or financial milestones that people want to hit. But the one thing, so healthcare for the most part through Medicare, through Medigap. Now, the one thing that's discouraging me, I have to tell you, Brent, um, you know, I told you Joe Namath is pushing Medicare Advantage. Mm -hmm. Guess who I saw yesterday? Jimmy J.J. Walker Dynamite. I saw that. Did you see him? Oh, my goodness. Now, if you watch the show Good Times, J- yeah. you know, Jimmy J.J. was the funny, right. tall, skinny kid. The comic relief. He was funny as yeah. heck. Yeah. But now he's using his Dynamite line and everything to sell Medicare Advantage. I want to tell you, if you want to feel old, if you're like kid of the 70s, <laughs> you uh, <clears throat> they really got me. Now it's J.J. Walker. Who's next? Maureen McCormick, Marsha Brady. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Now, I will tell you, that, Medicare, would, Medicare, that Medicare. would make me switch, Danny. Yeah. I will tell you, Danny, I'm switching over to Medicare Advantage <laughs> if Marsha is uh, pushing it. I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, ooh, my nose. It's covered by Medicare Advantage. Um, so keep in mind, long-term care is your issue. Long-term care can make or break you. This is the financial elephant, as we call it, in your financial room. As we age, as we live longer, hopefully our quality of life is better. Not only that, the interesting trend of seniors living alone, people divorcing later, with people who have no caregivers. So if you're married, obviously you could have a caregiver, If you're single, what do you do? We have to help you look at a long-term care strategy regardless, especially for women who outlive men by at least five years. These expenses to mitigate risk are those things or those expenses you'll incur due to not being able to perform specific activities of daily living, eating, bathing, right? Also, dementia. As we get older, this is going to be a big problem. People can live a very long time with dementia. These costs could drain you. But hey, it's not all about insurance. That might be something you need, but how do you know? How do you know you need long-term care insurance? People will say, I think I need it. But if you don't plan for it and figure out exactly how much you need, you're going to overpay. You're not going to understand it. Your, your premiums are probably going to be cost prohibitive. So you have to look at realistic approaches to long-term care. It goes through a hierarchy as you go through your plan. 
How much do you really need? Can you spend down some assets to pay for it? Can you use, can you be creative about it? Can you use a home equity conversion mortgage if you're planning to age in place? Do you maybe only have to cover one person or subsidize? In other words, you want to carve it out and look at it very surgically as to how to get long-term care. Now, even if you don't qualify for traditional long-term care insurance, there is a hybrid option. That's what I've done, right? That allows your premiums to come back to you. Maybe the underwriting is not as onerous, right? So there are, there are riders that are attached to life insurance, annuities. In other words, you have to consider this process in your plan. Now, if you're a young retiree, and I'm saying 65 years old is a young retiree. I, I actually think 70 year, years old is a, is a young retiree. Brent will be here till he's 85. It's looking younger all the time. <laughs> yeah. 70 is the new... 90. But, <laughs> I was going to go the other way. but All right, so keep this in mind that the long-term care process is important. So in this Lunch and Learn, on July 8th at noon, for about an hour, it's free, virtual free Zoom meeting. You register, and you will get a chock full of information. If anything, it'll get you thinking about it. Because, yeah, the portfolio is important. See, Lance says financial planning is boring. And he's sort of right. But I also think all the squiggly lines and charts may be boring too, right? But they work together when they're together. Like in other words, Donnie and separate from Marie, eh, you know, I like them. But when Donnie and Marie are together, like a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll, wow, right? So this is what you have to keep in mind. The portfolio is part of your holistic overall plan. Managing risk is not just has to do with a cell discipline in your variable assets. It has to do with how you mitigate risk. So when life gets in the way, you are not financially devastated or something in your life changes. And you have to keep in mind that part um, is very, very important. So I hope you're able to attend. We're also going to have uh, a lunch and learn. I don't remember the date on that, but that's toward the end of July, I think the 24th, on financial independence. What does that mean to you? There are all these studies out there that say, well, if you make $70,000 a year, you know, that's, that's happiness. Well, is it? I know people that make five times that, and then they're pretty crabby. I know people who make less than 70000 they seem happy. Um, the point is, we want to come up with some ideas for you to think about what financial independence means to you. Not what is dictated in mainstream financial media, that you need about a bajillion dollars to be happy, because they're trying to sell you product. They're trying to create this need, or this want, or this worry. They don't realize they're discouraging you from trying to accomplish your goals. Everybody's different. So we want you to have an idea of what kinds of rules would you set to create financial independence. One of the rules, for example, on our financial guardrails, and I had another realtor beat me up for this, and I stuck to my guns. 
your mortgage should only be twice your household annual household income. What? So if I make $50,000 a year, my mortgage should be $100,000 a year. Now, I didn't just pull this out of my Delta variant. I, Brent said I had to use that term. Um, I looked at it and asked and studied some of our most financially independent clients over the last 25 years. Now, there's variations of this rule, but the overarching theme, like when you write scripts, the premise, the lesson is don't be house poor. So a lot of people I suggest today, I suggest for a lot of younger people, do not buy a house here. I know. It's not a, not a good thing for me to say. Don't buy a house. Don't buy a house right now unless you're going to be putting down significant dollars and you can buffer downside risk. Because every tenured real estate agent is telling you this is an aberration. I would listen to that. Now, maybe if I just need a place to live and I'm willing to deal with it and I'm going to be in the house for at least 10 years and I'm not going to get any growth in my house or I'm not going to be underwater. See, the more you'll need to put down to maybe not be underwater. So I hope you join us. You'll get more information on the financial independence. Hey, speaking of independence, you know who the best teacher of money happens to be? George. George Washington. When we get back, I'm going to explain to you why here on The Real Investment Show. Stay tuned. They can't stop me, so they all come and dance beside me. Move with me, chat with me, and if you're good, they'll take you home with me. Dale a la pues, para que diga Macarena. Pues a pues, pues dale a la alegría, pues a pues. Dale a la pues, para la alegría, Macarena. Hey, Macarena, all right. Dale a la pues, para la alegría, Macarena. Pues a pues, pues dale a la alegría, pues a pues. Dale a la pues, para la alegría, Macarena. Hey, Macarena. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term Care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Oh, that's going to wake you up. Welcome back. Hey, welcome to our chat room. Peter says, good morning from Wisconsin. That block looks like Detroit. <laughs> you know, every time I see an old video, yeah. uh, like Allison Martino, she does vintage LA. Yeah. And she posts, or I see, and they show LA, like they have these really great videos from like 1962, people driving color, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 then uh, Dan Gallo, who's a radio show guy out here, yeah. posts a uh, the roadway in Houston in 1962. Yeah. And, and then I see another video uh, of Las Vegas. 
a guy's just driving, but you know, he's, it's like 1965 and it's all color and you feel like you're there. And the first thing I say is, look at the roads. <laughs> They're so beautiful. No potholes. There are lines. The well, streets they, they, are they sh- clean. They shot that video when the asphalt was fresh. Oh, but, I mean, but the last time the asphalt was fixed was when... 1962. Yeah. When the, so <laughs> it's just, again, um, I, under, I feel your pain, Peter. I feel your pain. So, you know, so, you know, out of, you know, so Europeans, we know, uh, when they're out of the office for the summer, they put it in their out of office. Uh, I'm away camping for the summer. Please email me in September. Don't bother me. The American out of office, I've left the office for a couple of hours to undergo kidney surgery, but you can reach me on my cell at any time. Not only that, I'll be back after that. Connie just added that last one. If you go out for 12 for your kidney surgery, you've got to be in by three. Um, now, I do think this is changing, Brent. I think the w- Americans are finally learning from the Europeans. I think the pandemic was a wake-up call. Matter of fact, there were many studies that, will, that show you that if your job doesn't have or offer flexibility, 65% of people polled said, I am looking for another job. I will leave this job. We're, so we're learning a little bit of something from the Europeans that maybe life is short, life is precious, we want to work, but we want to do a little bit more on our terms. We don't want to sit at a desk for 12 hours. I wrote this in my book in 2012 that when you're going to look at the Gen Zs and future generations and millennials as well, they don't want to be chained to a desk. They want to do good work. Not all of them are lazy, but they want flexibility. They want lives. As opposed to when we started, and I'm on the later side of the baby boomers, when we started, it was you did everything for the company. You were going to work, 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 because that was everything. And I sort of like the fact that that's not the case. And I sort of like that even baby boomers during during the pandemic are also learning the lesson of having some flexibility. That doesn't mean productivity is down, folks. That doesn't mean people are loafing. As a matter of fact, there are many studies that are coming out that showing that people are working even longer being at home because there's no boundaries, no guardrails. What time does my workday start? What time does it end? At least at the office, you know I'm going to take this break, I'm going to do this. You're actually getting, I think, more work out of employees many times. Again, every job is different. I also talk to a lot of people say, I can't wait to get back to the office. I don't like this working from home thing. But again, studies are showing is we are learning the European out of office. And if you don't like it, we're going to move. We're going to change jobs. And guess what? People have had to sacrifice over the, through the pandemic, which was a great lesson for them to realize, heck, if I didn't even work for a year and I managed to cut costs or whatever it was, um, you know, and again, we have, we have all the jobless benefits and all that. But most important, attitudes are changing. Not toward the dedication to work. That's where the European and the American out of office will be very different. But how I do it, how I consider it, that is going to be continued to grow. I, I'm very interested to see this trend on flexible work schedules and uh, where they go. That to me is going to be uh, crucial. 
lot of things changing. Hey, Mark Minervini, he's one of, uh, I think, one of the most successful stock traders. I, I, I have totally cut my media diet. Um, I used to read all these newspapers, including the Financial Times, The Economist, and I am down to the Wall Street Journal, Investors, uh, day, Investors.com. Um, I actually get the newspaper because it's too political. Even The Economist, uh, I can't read it anymore. Um, so it's, it, he does a lot of work, Mark, with Investors.com. And this is something he's, he posted on Twitter 14 hours ago. The best investment is an investment in yourself, a commitment to do what it takes and to persist. Persistence is more important than knowledge for success in any endeavor. Knowledge and skill are acquired through study and practice, but nothing great comes to those who quit. Because the, we talk about this all the time on the show. We write about it. The personal capital. You are your greatest investment. You are an earnings machine. Anything you can do to increase earnings to your household. So if you start looking at yourself as an investment, you might learn more. You might eat better. You might change some habits because you're not looking at yourself as an investment. So keep that in mind, uh, Mark. Minervini, speaking of persistence, there was Nietzsche. I read all this stuff. So I need I read all these Stoics, Mark, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, all these guys. Can't pronounce their names, obviously. Delta variant. I got to throw that in. Um, but Nietzsche described human greatness as amor fati, or love of fate. Don't bear what is necessary, but love it. And I think that that does signify a lot about George Washington. So I'm a big history buff. Um, I've become more over the last five years. Great books on Abe Lincoln that have come out. I've got two volumes. They're, they're one, one is like 1,100 pages. I mean, I read 100 pages. It doesn't even look like I made a dent in the darn thing. Um, there was a great book about Washington. And if you ever get a chance, if you go on Amazon, uh, take a look at the book. It's on sale, actually. Revolution Song by Russell Shorto, S-H-O-R-T-O, because Russell, what he's done, he's, he's gone around the periphery of the revolution, how lives of others were affected. So not just on the main players, he went to the supporting players, and there's some very interesting supporting players that affected the main players during the American Revolution. He talks about those, the periphery of that, those B players. Uh, very fascinating book. So when I, read, when I read about George Washington, that this was a boy with a vision. He wanted to be a British officer. So all these kids are outside. They're playing. I don't know what they played with at the time in the 1700s, Brentwood. Um, Washington stayed in and studied famous battles. Studying was recreation to him. So he lived these victories and these defeats, right? He, so what he did was young George envisioned documenting these 
battle strategies. In other words, if he was looking at a losing battle, he would write out strategies that would turn the tide for them. So he looked at losing engagements to see what he would do different. Now, he had this incredible love for his home country. That was Britain, not the U.S., not America. Britain was this honorable, unstoppable world force. He wanted to be an English patriot. He was ready and anxious to fight for king and country. So think about this. This is like the stuff of great stories, right, that you watch on TV, um, if anybody watches TV, or in movies. You've got this unstoppable love, dedication, and passion for a country. And then it turns into this, we call an arc, ice of disappointment. So how did this young boy, who was so eager to die for king and country, become the father of a free nation, right? How does a passionate believer morph into a combatant against his first and greatest love? George Washington was the epitome of every character that you love. I don't care if it's John Wick. I don't care. One of my best, one of my favorite movies, I don't know if Brent likes it, is The Patriot. Oh, Oh, man, right? Benjamin Martin in The Patriot. What a great story. Uh, Russell Russell Crowe in The Gladiator. Although right now he looks like he could eat The Gladiator. He doesn't look like he's ready to do any kind of gladiating. Is that a word? Gladiating? is now. Okay. Anytime soon. I bet he fought. I bet he would fight that Delta variant. What do you think, Brent? Notice how I'm throwing that in. That's great. Yeah. When we get back, I want to talk about not only what turned George Washington, but about his money habits. Some of them not so good. And we're going to, you know, hope you understand. What could you learn better from the father of our country? What would you change? Here on Financial Fitness Friday of The Real Investment Show. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long term care. Long term care. Register at Real Investment advice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care july 8th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show and welcome back lance is trolling again on the uh, chat <laughs> we do knee surgeries replacements at 
work. Yes. In Texas. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're going to open a, uh, a self-serve you know what I always say about medical them? center here in the building. It's going to be called Suit Yourself. Yeah, we can do that right in the back. Yeah. We'll have the, the vaccine against Delta variant. Or just um, Lance will punch you in the arm. That <laughs> That's really what will happen. Because he was one of those bullies in school. Except he fought with words. <laughs> he was a wordsmith. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't go near him. He's got words. <laughs> and he's got those squiggly lines. He could take that job. Turn one of those moving averages into a whip. <laughs> Man. It's like our George Washington. Charts as a weapon. Charts as a weapon. Absolutely. So he's uh, trolling us today. Um, so that's fun. And Lance says, I am so bored. <laughs> We aren't even talking about planning, and he's bored. <laughs> well, you know, he could come in and do the show on Friday. He really could. He really could. Just uh, saying. And I was saying I might come in and do the show with him on Wednesday just to get even <laughs> uh, with him. So I will tell you something about um, Washington. First of all, he gets turned down for all these these British dismissions. That ticks him off. All right? He's like, wait a minute. I've studied since I'm like seven. I could have been out there playing cro- cro- croquet or digging up whatever I'm digging up, whatever, whatever kids played at the time, whatever video games they played in the 1700s. He could have done that, but he didn't. Okay. He went and said, listen, I'm done with you guys. Then he had a battle and there was some misinterpretation and he was looked at some sort of, you know, he got a lot of bad press. He got a lot of bad press from this one battle that he did do. So, you know, he was looked at as Fredo, Fredo, Fredo. Okay, I can't believe I watched The Godfather. I don't know. He was like Fredo, right, for a while. And he's like, how dare you? I'm Fredo? George Washington is Fredo. So he suffers some big setback. Last uh, was taxation. That, that got him more than anything else. So he said, listen, this Britain's Stamp Act and taxation, this oppression is all that I can stand. And he winds up moving against his greatest love. Who he was then is not who he was now. What an arc. What a story. Right? What a great story. At the time of his death in 1799, Washington's estate was worth 700 and $80,000. That doesn't include 7,000 acres at Mount Vernon, right? But here is interesting. We just talked about this. His finances ebbed and flowed. There were many times in his life he was land rich and cash poor. So one thing that if you ever see any portraits of Washington, read books, look at his clothing. Look at how he dressed. And no matter what the battle was, he didn't wear Crocs, right? He was dressed to the nines. The finest clothing, expensive, outlandish accessories brought in from London designers. He borrowed at 6% to maintain his lifestyle for many years. So it appears, but it does appear that uh, we take our first president very seriously when it comes to using credit to maintain standards of living, right? So we are 
We love credit, but look where it comes from. Father of the country had to have all these luxuries. Purple carriages, purple velvet tufted seats, ivory handles. Now, difference. Washington used credit for the luxuries. Like when Lance gets his big computers, right? Luxuries. What do Americans use credit for? One of Lance's greatest charts. Not of the Delta variant, because I have to bring that up for some reason. Americans use credit for the basics. Just the stuff they need to live. Now, we have, we're getting a little bit messed up here with stimulus and how that's working on disposable uh, personal income. But for the most part, we're probably going to go back. I heard a pundit on CNBC today go, oh my gosh, the savings rate's still at 12% or so. This is crazy. We got to get that down. (laughs) Yes, because everything is about spending. George Washington understood that, but he used credit for the luxuries. According to Pew's research survey of American family finances, 46% of respondents reported making more than they spend. Only 47% said they predicted household bills and income from month to month. No budgeting. In addition, more than a third of those surveyed have suffered income volatility, a year-over-year change in annual income of 24%. Washington was a strong believer in education and benefits of mathematics. He was a gifted student throughout his life, agricultural sciences and law. Right? Military strategy, as I mentioned. Now, he was on the payroll of land baron Lord Fairfax at 16 as a land surveyor of 5 million Virginia acres. That was for beat, 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 uh, prepared for tenants that were going to arrive from across the Atlantic. In other words, he was already living the other lesson, the human capital machine. He always looked to improve himself, which means it would, imp- would improve his wealth and his stature. Very important lesson there, right? I don't know, but our math scores don't add anything up to what, um, I guess, Washington would have said, right? So, and he was a master at networking, power of connections. Now, I know it's been tough, but he wasn't born into a rich family. But he made connections. He was a savvy social climber. Well, and he married. He married rich. Not all of us get to do that, right? How about you, Brent? Did you do okay with that? I married well. You did. You did. Wonder, um, wonderful woman. You absolutely did. So again, he had a. When you look at studies, at children who are better at socializing, they have above-average reading scores and better literacy skills, right? If you look at the Brookings Institute, social and emotional uh, competence is critically important in the workplace. Well, it used to be. And I don't know about Zoom. Actually, I think you have to be more empathetic over Zoom because people don't understand what you're doing. I mean, you can get up and you have no pants on or you got to make sure you're, you're following the etiquette, but you got to make sure that, how does that empathy come across? Like, what would George Washington think of Zoom? What would he say? Thou is craziest or well thou, thou dost look bored 
You know, the thing about Zoom that freaks me out is that the camera never blinks, and you've got to really be uh, conscious of everything you of do. Your facial expressions, you, you do. Know? And if you have a resting face that's kind of scary, like me, you know, it can work against you. The resting you. B face. Yeah. You got to be careful of that on Zoom. What I'm saying is, and this is a piece that's going to come out next Thursday, I turn everything into a money lesson. George Washington had some of the best. What do I have? I mean, I'm not going to spend what he did. I don't need any purple tufted. Well, I would like a Cadillac with some purple tufted seats and some ivory handles, but Lance says no. How about some wooden teeth? And Lance, see, and Lance says, I was the fat kid who got picked on until I learned to defend myself. Me too. But except I ran. He, he, he fought. I hid. Um, there's our differences. Fight uh, or flight. <laughs> I, I was the flight. Like if we had shirts in those days, his would have said fight. But I did do this, I almost did the same thing Lance did. I actually was able to word myself out of a lot of things. Um, but uh, yeah, so a hmm, lot of good stuff here. So keep this in mind. Um, the lessons we learn from not only history, but also how our parents work with money are very important. There's an imprint that is made. Now, there's no book about George Washington's parents, except that they were poor. I can't dig deep enough to find anything that really shows a little bit about what his money script was. Because he probably emulated British officers, right? How they dressed. So you have to look at how your kids are. Who are they emulating? Who are they looking at? Who are their examples when it comes to money? Are they practical or not? One of the things we did this week with my daughter Haley, who's moving off to Georgia next week, which makes me sad, but it's how it works when your kids are grown, growing up and moving on to school and other things. The first thing we did was we're going to set up, and she's got a job, an auto deposit into a Roth IRA. Right? We're going to learn from how Peter Thiel gets demonized for actually putting money from a traditional IRA and moves it to a Roth, which is not illegal. Matter of fact, we have been suggesting Roth for years, but all of a sudden, all these things that are legal get demonized. One good, and this is in our financial independence, uh, lunch and learn, or I think actually candy coffee coming up. What one lesson of financial independence are you going to share with your kids? You have a long weekend to do it. So I hope you do. Well, I guess on Monday uh, is a holiday. Back on Tuesday here on The Real Investment Show. Oh, we'll have a show on Monday. Oh, we can have a yes. show on Monday. Thank you, Memorex. Oh, thank you, Memorex, for the show. You've been listening to Financial Fitness Friday. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate you. Have a good weekend. Be safe. Monday, Monday, Monday. Always Sunday in a rich man's world. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.